you know, three years ago, um, Pixar, that great animated film studio, they released another one of their, their hit movies. Um, they do such a spectacular job of creating movies that are entertaining for kids and insightful for adults as well. Three years ago, they released a movie, Inside Out. Every, anybody seen Inside Out? Did you watch it? If you haven't, put it on your list of movies to see it. It's, it's really fascinating. In an interesting twist, what they do is, is they let us into the minds of the characters. We get to see the little people inside the brains of the characters that are helping them decide and debate on how they should act or how they should respond or how they should feel. So, so we get to see the little blue lady, sadness, always kind of heavy and slow and woe is me and this so life is so difficult. And, and, and that's the opposite of joy who's bouncing off the walls all the time and, and, and you have fear who's wringing their fingers and tapping together and totally scared of everything, trying to get them not, get the character not to do anything because it's too scary to do anything. And they're all debating disgust, who just kind of crosses their arms in disgust at everything. And everybody gives wide swath of space to anger, who could blow up at any time. When anger blows up on the inside, Boy, the actions on the outside are out of control. It's a fascinating movie. It's not just entertaining, but it's also insightful into how our internal actions and emotions, what's inside of us, shapes our external actions, what we do, the choices we make. And I thought of that as I was preparing for this new series that we're starting this morning. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to live from the inside out. Right, Jesus, throughout his life and his words, he gave us a core set of internal values. Internal values that we must develop in our hearts, in our minds, if we're gonna follow his example and live a life worthy of the calling you've received, as Paul tells us to do, right? If we are going to be the people of God, the people he's designed us to be, if we're gonna have those kind of actions in our lives, then the core values on the inside, the voices speaking to us, telling us what we should do, need to, need to be rooted in these core values. True followers of Jesus Christ, those who are growing and maturing live from the inside out. Their outside actions are born out of this inside core value. So over the next five weeks, we're gonna be invited to examine our insides, right? We're gonna look at one foundational characteristic a week that fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ have at their core. Okay, I'm gonna warn you as you then apply that to your own life as you hold that core value out there and say, how am I doing with that? Right, this internal, it's gonna be an internal examination that will challenge you for your external choices and behaviors and decisions as well because they go hand in hand. Jesus makes it clear that when our hearts are captured by him, when our hearts are captured by his grace, then our daily actions, choices, decisions, will be transformed. The world around us, 
The world who is watching you live your life will be able to see the core characteristic on the inside because you're living it on the outside. So over the next five weeks, each of us will be challenged to develop our inside, our spiritual core values, in order to transform our outside actions, our godly living, so that this world might see Jesus through us. Okay, now each of these five core characteristics is going to challenge us profoundly as individuals and as a church community. And I think the first core characteristic may just be the most challenging of them all. Because at the very core of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ, there must be a deep, deep desire for unity, for oneness. And if ever there was a time when we need a renewed call for unity, I think it's right now. Because we live in a society that is becoming more and more divided and divisive. Right? We no longer just, just draw lines between us and them. Now we dig trenches and build walls between us and them. And more and more, we can't be satisfied to disagree with somebody. Now, if they don't think like us, look like us, act like us, vote like us, we despise them. We unfriend them. We ignore them. The walls are getting bigger. And we carry that desire for division, because really that's what it is. It's a a desire for division. We carry that desire for division right here into the church as well. In fact, we always have. The church has struggled with unity from the very beginning. Read through the New Testament letters sometime, and you're going to see this struggle for unity, this this encroachment of unity, of division again and again and again. Whether you see it in in Paul and Mark going their separate ways in frustration and anger at each other, or, or whether you see it in the rich refusing to sit next to the poor in church, or whether you see it in in older members refusing to listen to younger leaders, or men excluding women. Or the Jews and foreigners making everybody, the Jews making foreigners and everybody else second class citizens in the church. Division has always threatened this core value of unity. And it hasn't gotten any better throughout the history of the church. There have been literal wars fought among Christians, right? In Europe, the Thirty Years' War. The Thirty Years' War was a religious war, and it wasn't one religion against another. It was one form of Christianity fighting another for 30 years, leaving 8 million people dead. That's Christians. And and some of our reformer heroes back in the the 1500s, they joined with their, their Catholic enemies to drown the Anabaptists. Right? They executed them by drowning because the Anabaptists didn't believe in infant baptism. So what better way to punish them than to drown them, to immerse them in the river? That's our heritage. That's our history of disunity. And that struggle for unity continues today. 
We continue to dig trenches and to build walls between denominations, between churches, even between people who sit in the same room on a Sunday morning. Our own denomination was born out of division. It's in our DNA to divide. And that's exactly the opposite of what God intended and what God desires and what God commands. No, when he calls us to unity, God does not demand that we all be alike, that we all be the same. But he does demand that that we work hard to develop a unity in the middle of our diversity. In fact, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 is found on page 944 in the Bibles you have in front of you. Galatians 3, we're just going to read one paragraph here this morning. Because this paragraph gives each of us a profound command to work towards unity. Start at verse 26 of Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let me read that middle verse, verse 28, one more time. It says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, most of us have heard that verse before. So we hear it and we don't think that much of it. Fine, good, let's move on. What's the next point, right? That verse would have rocked the world of its first century readers, the people who heard it for the very first time. It would have shaken their society and their culture and their beliefs to the very core. You see, you see, this call to unity that God specifically identifies here in this verse crosses some deep, deep, deep cultural dividing lines in the first century. It tore down walls that people had been building for generations, for centuries, for 2,000 years. See, there were three things. Three things. If you were a pious Jewish man, three things that you consistently gave thanks that you were not. You thank God that you were not a Gentile. You thank God that you were not a slave. You thank God that you were not a woman. Sorry, ladies here. That's just the way it was. Okay, three things you're thankful that you're not. And here Paul tells them, that Jesus has broken down every single one of those dividing walls that you've been given thanks for all your life. That Jesus is breaking down these dividing walls that you not only accept, but you praise, that you've built, that you extol and you celebrate. This is life-changing for them. And this call to unity will be life-changing for us if we let it shake our worlds as well. 
You see, Jesus started here by breaking down the division of race and ethnicity. Right? Because of the cross and because the tomb is empty, there is no longer the division between Jew and Gentile. That deep division had been cultivated and enforced and dug all the way back for 2,000 years, starting with Abraham. For 2,000 years, that's what it meant to be faithful and holy. A faithful Jewish believer built that wall between themselves and their Gentile neighbors very strong and very high because to be holy meant to be separate. It meant to keep them away. Now, all of a sudden, here comes Jesus, and he tears that wall down. He says, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter anymore. You are one. 2,000 years of racism wiped away by Jesus' call to unity. And now you and I today add another 2,000 years of racism that we need to continue to be wiping away. Right? Because of the cross and because of the empty tomb, now you and I care just as much about black lives and Hispanic lives and Indian lives and Chinese lives as we do white lives and every other life. Because the, the divisions of racism are no longer, that were no longer allowed in the first century are no longer allowed in the 21st century either. We care about all lives in Jesus Christ. In the church, there is room and respect for all races, cultures, and backgrounds. And if our outside, if our external actions, or maybe even if our inaction promotes division according to race and nationality, then our internal value is not unity. And we've got some spiritual growing up to do. We have to discipline ourselves to learn to grow and practice unity with our brothers and sisters whose skin color and culture is different than ours. Jesus goes on to break down the divisions of class that we naturally perpetuate, that we enjoy, that make us comfortable. But because of the cross and the empty tomb, in that first century church, slaves sat on the same bench right next to masters. Unheard of in the first century. Unbelievable. Or maybe it was even more profound. I wasn't there to see it. Maybe instead of slaves moving up to sit on the benches next to their masters, maybe the masters went and sat down on the floor next to their slaves. Unbelievable. Believable. But that's what it means to be the family of God. In the family of God, everybody matters, no matter their economic and social standing. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter the make and model of their car, the brand name on their clothes, the size of their house, the exotic destination of their vacations. None of those things matter. Because the walls that divide us by class, they're gone in this community. In the church, there is room and respect for all classes. And the core that core value is shown out 
in the unity that we witness for the world around us. Right? We defend the migrant worker right along with the company CEO. And we defend and worship. We worship with the poor right along with the rich. We love the homeless as much as we love the condo owner. We welcome the high school dropout working hard to get his GED right alongside of the professor who's got her PhD. They sit next to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ right here in these benches. And they love each other. And if our outside, if our external words and actions, or if, even if our inaction promotes division along these economics lines and class lines, then our internal value is not unity. And we have some spiritual growing up to do. Then we need to discipline ourselves to learn and grow and practice unity with our brothers and sisters whose social standing might be different than ours. Finally, the third one. Jesus, through Paul here, broke down the division of gender. You want to know how ingrained this division between men and women, male and female, was in the first century Jewish community that Paul is writing to, that Jesus ministered to? The common Jewish morning prayer, you'd wake up and say this prayer if you were a, a faithful Jewish male. The prayer included the line, I thank God that he has not made me a woman. That was your morning prayer. It is hard for us in the 21st century to imagine how poorly, how badly women were treated in the first century and before. Now, if you are one who studies you know, old texts, ancient texts that they find, you don't find hardly, you can hardly find any texts ancient manuscripts that promote unity between men and women until you come to this text, until you come to Scripture, until you come to the Bible, the New Testament in Christianity. Here it is. In Jesus, there is, ne there is not the division between male and female. Because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, our different genders become reason for respect and honor, not division. In the church, there is room and respect for all people. All people to be loved and respected equally. Women, children, old, young, everyone. And this community right here should be the last place in the world that anyone should see sexism or abuse or harassment, or coarse joking, or pornography. Because if our outside, if our external words and actions, or even our inaction, promotes division according to gender, putting one person down because of their gender, then our internal value is no longer unity. And we've got some spiritual growing up to do. We have to discipline ourselves to learn and grow and practice unity with our brothers and sisters and experience that godly unity while celebrating our beautiful diversity. When we, when we listen carefully to God's call to unity, when we take that core characteristic seriously in our lives and in our spiritual walk, we will begin to realize that this is a profoundly life-shaping and difficult value to live, live out. 
it's so much easier to accept or even promote division rather than unity. Because when we divide, then we can just stay with people who are like us, who make us comfortable. And we can divide and stay safe within our walls. But Paul tells us here, the words he uses are that we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are one in Christ Jesus. And the Greek words he uses there specifically points to a unified personality, not a unified organization, a personality. In other words, we are the living body of Jesus Christ. And the only distinctions, the only differences among us are the differences of function. Right? One body with many parts, but unified in one body. In Jesus, there is to be no division, no oppression based on gender, race, identity, class. We as the body of Jesus Christ are to tear down those dividing walls. And instead of conforming to the brokenness of this world, we are to transform that brokenness in this world. We are to be an example to this world that is watching us of what it means to be one. And when we, the people of God, the body of Jesus Christ right here, when we fail to overcome those painful divisions, or when we perpetuate those divisions, then we failed in our calling to the world. Our calling to proclaim and live out the reconciling, the unifying good news of Jesus Christ to all people all people. And the truth is, we do fail. All of us fail. That's why we come to this table here this morning. We come to this table not because we've got everything just right. We come because we've gotten it wrong. We've missed we have our walls and our divisions. We see people around us through racist eyes, judging them, avoiding them, neglecting them because of the color of their skin. We have ignored the poor. We despised the rich. We've been entertained by sexuality instead of honoring sexuality. Our insides are not what they're supposed to be, and that's why we come to this table. We come, first of all, to remember and celebrate what we have received from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself, through the cross and the empty tomb, has paid the price for our sins and has given us forgiveness and salvation to all who believe, to all who give their lives to him. So we come here to give our profound gratitude for that gift of forgiveness and for that gift of salvation. Because each of us knows better than anyone else in the room how desperately we need forgiveness and how desperately we need to receive that saving grace. But secondly, we also come to this table this morning looking to the future. Because at this table, when we eat the bread and drink the juice, we recommit ourselves again to those core values that Jesus expects from his saved children, including this core value of unity. 
we recommit ourselves to that sanctification process, to living out God's values in a godless world. When we eat the bread and we drink the juice, we're committing to make a change on the inside. To change on the inside so that we will be changed on the outside. So if you've given your heart and your life to Jesus, both inside and out, and you're welcome to come to this table, you're welcome together as one body to look back on what Jesus has done for us and in gratitude say thank you and receive that grace again and to look forward to what he's called us to and to recommit together to be the person, the people that he's called us to be and to live profoundly for him from the inside out. Would you pray with me? God, you know our insides better than even we do. And so you know how broken we are. You know how much we failed. You know the walls that we built, the trenches that we've dug, the lines that we've drawn, the divisions that we've not only accepted, but honestly, we've perpetuated them. Maybe we've even celebrated them. Forgive us for the part that we played in pulling apart the body of Christ. And Father, help us out of deep gratitude to you. Because you could have, you could have put up the dividing wall between you and us. You should have. You, sinless God, and us, sinless people. And yet, when you had every right to build a wall and dig a trench and to divide from us, instead you sent your son to become one of us. You chose unity and salvation and forgiveness and grace. Thank you. And so we come to this table to receive that grace and to respond in gratitude with a life that's changed for you. So nourish our souls, Father, with this bread and with this juice. Nourish us spiritually on the inside to develop the core of unity that you called us to have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.